0: That baseball rags, see the pitcher throw and strike him out. You got him going. Uh oh, that sliding baseball drag. Don't you be a quitter? Show him you're a heavy hitter. Some classy curve, the pitcher twirling. Go on, kids, spin without a whirling. Hey, soak it out, soak it out. Make a home run, ball, strike. Stay hit, first base, make second, you're a it going, sonny, make me win a lot of money, don't stop until you're touching third, you're a holy terror, center fielder made an error, slide, slide, you made a good beginning, for so you know that your team always makes a winning when you play ball, and sing that baseball rag. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Friday, August 18th edition of Free Baseball, the podcast that goes into extra innings and walks the extra mile to bring you the best in observation, insight, and analysis of your national pastime. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. Baseball is a passing parade. Each year, players come, players go, and each year sees the departure of great stars, occasional Hall of Famers, and the arrival of new players who will lead fans to the heights of enjoyment and the depths of despair. A few of them in their own turn will join the ranks of baseball's greatest. Today in our feature segment, we will take a look at the great players who are on their way out the door, so to speak, and try to identify newcomers who hold the promise of future greatness and who may become the faces of baseball down the road. In our Unsung Heroes segment, I'm going to profile my favorite team of all time, No, not the 1969 New York Mets, but the 1957 Milwaukee Braves, a great aggregation of talent led by four future Hall of Famers who fell only a couple of games shy of establishing a New York Yankee-like dominance in the National League. That's how close they came to winning four pennants in a row. We'll have the answer to last week's trivia question and a new stumper for you to chew on until we meet again. As a side note, there will be no new episode of Free Baseball next Friday. We shall return on September 1st with a full preview of the pennant races in all six of Major League Baseball's divisions. With that said, let's play ball. Jane, if you will, please. The end of the 2023 season will mark the end of the line for some well-known and incredibly successful major leaguers. The season also will mark the beginning of the line for young talents who will ensure the continued success of the game. It's now time for us to take note. I'd like to tip the hat to right-handed pitcher Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals, He's definitely old school, featuring a breaking ball, control, and smarts. He's also had remarkable success. He's finished second in the Cy Young Award twice, third twice, and most wins in the National League twice. He'll be retiring at the end of this year. He's now 41 years old, and as of now, he's two wins shy of the 200 mark. He's won 198 and lost 124, which is an amazing 615 one loss percentage. He's got a career ERA of 3.52. And in the postseason, Adam Wainwright has made 16 starts and he's posted a 2.83 earned run average. As a Met fan, of course, my strongest memory of Adam Wainwright is his dispatching Carlos Beltran on three pitches to end the Mets' hopes in the 2006 postseason. I still see that curveball. The current season will also mark the end of the career of Joey Votto, first baseman of the Cincinnati Reds. Joey is perhaps one of the greatest Canadians ever to play Major League Baseball, He's got a two hundred ninety five lifetime batting average, a .410 on-base percentage, and a .513 slugging percentage. He's led the league in walks five times in on-base percentage, seven times. He's a six-time All-Star. He ran second in the Rookie of the Year balloting. He finished second in 2017 and third in 2015. There's a lot of people who might say, uh, wouldn't it be nice if the Reds made the postseason this year? And if they do, I'll be rooting for Joey Votto as I watch him walk out the door. This may also be the last season for one of the most original players and interesting players of this generation. And I'm talking about 39-year-old Zach Greinke, right-handed pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. He's a Currently got 224 wins. Now that's not bad and a sub 3.5 ERA. He won a Cy Young Award. He's got six gold gloves. He's one of the best hitting pitchers. I know they don't get to do that anymore, but uh, let's recognize his batting skills as a two-time silver slugger. They don't give that award anymore to pitchers, but we could call it the Zach Granke Award for the last 20 years. He's led the league in one loss percentage twice, in earn-run average twice. He's made 21 postseason starts. He's also kind of a character, and I think that he'll be missed not only in the clubhouse, but I know that a lot of the reporters who cover Major League Baseball will point to an interview that they had with Zach Greinke as being one of the most memorable of their own careers. This next guy is only 34 years old but for the last couple of years he's been talking retirement and it looks like it may happen after this season particularly if the Dodgers go deep into the postseason and of course I'm talking about left-handed pitcher Clayton Kershaw I think you'd have to say he is one of the giants out on the mound and has been for the last 15 seasons he has a 208 and 91 Career one-loss record. His career ERA is 2.48. Talk about consistency. Here we are in 2023. After 15 years, his record this year is 11 and 4. His ERA 2.48, exactly representing his career norm. Three times Clayton Kershaw has led the National League in wins. He's had two 20-win seasons. Five times he's led the league with the lowest ERA. Three times he's led it in the most strikeouts. He's a 10-time All-Star. He's won three Cy Youngs. He's won the MVP award. He's got 31 postseason starts and 13 wins. And two nights ago, he beat the Milwaukee Brewers. Clayton Kershaw doesn't appear to be slowing down, but I know he and his wife have many charitable activities that they run, and uh, Clayton may decide at the end of this season to hang it up. I hope he doesn't, but I will always remember Clayton Kershaw as the best left-handed pitcher of this baseball generation. And finally, the 2023 season marks the end of the line for one of baseball's greatest hitters. I'm talking about Miguel Cabrera, of the Detroit Tigers. He's 39 years old now. He's been around for 20 years. He is one of the few players these days who has a career batting average over 300. It's 307, a career on base 383, a career slugging of 520, but that doesn't begin to tell the tale. He's an 11 time. 300 hitter. He's won two MVP awards, seven times he's been in the top five. He's a 12-time All-Star, a four-time batting champion. He won the Triple Crown in 2012, four times he's led the league in on-base, and two years in slugging percentage. He has 3,147 career hits, 509 home runs. He's the best hitter of the last 25 years and a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer in 2029. Miguel Cabrera, the greatest hitter of this baseball generation, and sad to say, we probably won't see more of him after this year. It's part of being a baseball fan to have to say goodbye to favorite players when they reach a certain age On the flip side of that, we also get to say hello to new and shining talents each and every year. And I'd like to just mention four players whom I think will contribute to the game during their careers the way the five fellows I just mentioned did. First of all, there's Corbin Carroll, a young outfielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. At the plate, he reminds me a bit of Don Mattingly. He also plays the outfield. He runs well. He hits for decent power, and he certainly could be a 300 hitter. The only problem with Corbin is he's got a a bum shoulder that's kicked out on him a couple of times, but I think if he can heal that, he's got a great career ahead of him. Then there's Gunnar Henderson, a rookie this year with the Baltimore Orioles. He plays shortstop and third base. He's got power, good eye at the plate, good hand-eye coordination. He runs well, and I think that uh, he's one of the reasons that the, the Baby Birds have been so successful this year. Gunnar Henderson has a long career ahead of him. In Cincinnati, you've seen Ellie Dela Cruz make his Major League debut this year. This guy is a walking tool shed, as they say. He can do it all. He needs a little bit more consistency, but he's got power, speed. He is probably the most exciting ballplayer on the bases since Ricky Henderson. And I think Ellie Dela Cruz is going to be the one who takes over from Joey Votto as the centerpiece in Cincinnati. As a Met fan, I have come to appreciate what Francisco Alvarez has done this year in a season that otherwise has been a disaster for the New York Mets. Francisco Alvarez came up highly touted as a young 21-year-old catcher. He's hit 22 home runs already, but I am amazed at how good he is behind the plate. He did not have a defensive rep in the minors, but he's come up and handled the New York pitching staff very well. They like to throw to him. And I think Alvarez, especially with his power, has the potential to be like a Johnny Bench or a Roy Campanella a guy behind the plate who could hit 30 to 35 home runs a year for you. So in Carroll, Henderson, De La Cruz, and Alvarez, we baseball fans are getting in on the ground floor in the careers of four new exciting players. That's how it goes in baseball, all right? It is a passing parade. Our favorites say goodbye just as new favorites Come aboard. Congratulations to all of the five veterans that we'll be seeing depart this year. There'll be others as well. Nelson Cruz may retire. We've enjoyed your performance for 15 to 20 years, and some of you will see again during your Hall of Fame inductions. For the four young players I cited, I uh, want to welcome them to the show and ask them to continue their improvement and also to be credits to the game the way the five guys walking out the door have been. That's baseball. Of course, that fanfare means it's time for the Unsung Heroes segment of free baseball, and this week is very special to me. I'm going to tell you the story of my favorite team, the 1957 Milwaukee Braves. But we have to begin a little bit earlier than that. Between 1948, when they won the National League pennant, and 1952, when they finished a distant seventh, Attendance for Boston Braves games dwindled from second in the league to last, drawing fewer than 300,000 fans in 1952. Braves Field was one of the oldest and least hospitable stadiums in the major leagues, and the Crosstown Red Sox were a more exciting team featuring the hardest-hitting lineup in the American League outside of the Yankees. Something had to be done. A thousand miles to the west, the city of Milwaukee, which was also the Boston Braves' AAA affiliate, were in the process of finishing construction on a modern and expandable stadium that seated nearly 30,000 people. I remember one of my uncles taking me out there to watch the construction. He was the chief county engineer and the supervisor of the project, so I got a chance to see the stadium built up brick by brick. In the spring of 1953, the Braves players and staff reported to Bradenton, Florida for spring training as usual. Topps issued its first series of baseball cards with the Braves players featuring their familiar bee on their hats and the logo Boston Braves along the bottom of the cards. Behind the scenes, however, as Arthur Conan Doyle might say, the game was afoot, and the game for the Braves was moving to Milwaukee, after a vote of league owners approved the move several weeks into spring training. Milwaukee was joining the major leagues. The rest, to use a cliche, is history. The 7th place Braves, strengthened by the return for military service of young talent like Johnny Antonelli and Del Crandall, and the acquisition via trade of first-base slugger Joe Adcock, the promotion of Billy Bruton and Gene Connolly, both stars on Milwaukee's A Brewers team of 1952, and the development of young shortstop Johnny Logan and third baseman Eddie Matthews into National League All-Stars transformed the Braves from also-rans to pennant contenders for the remainder of the decade. Milwaukee came out to support its new team, a swell of attendance that certainly raised eyebrows in Brooklyn, in New York City, Philadelphia, and St. Louis. The Braves weren't just a team of the future. Their ability in baseball's newest and smallest market to outdraw teams in some of America's biggest cities ushered in an inevitable rush toward new riches for the owners in new markets across America. The Braves didn't win the pennant in 1953. They finished 2nd third, and second in their first three seasons in Milwaukee. By 1956, the fans were ripe and expectant. Young Henry Aaron was being compared to Willie Mays. People all around baseball wondered if Eddie Matthews would one day break Babe Ruth's career home run record of 714. Ageless Warren Spahn seemed to win 20 or more games every year, a left-handed version of Old Faithful. The 1956 season proved to be both exciting and bittersweet. The Braves nipped at the heels of the perennial powerhouse Dodgers, but in the end, they fell one game short. So near, yet so far. Aaron won the National League batting title. Spawn won his 20. But the team seemed to need one last ingredient, one final push to best Brooklyn. That final ingredient didn't arrive until June 15th of the following season. Milwaukee GM John Quinn traded Danny O'Connell, Bobby Thompson, and right-hander Ray Crone to the New York Giants for 34-year-old Red Schaendienst. Some people said the redhead was past his prime, wondering if he had enough left to propel the younger Braves to the pennant. Turned out he did— Hitting a clutch 310, fielding 987, and finally solving the team's perennial second base problem. The Braves actually faced a lot of adversity that year, especially in the months of June and July. On June 23rd, first baseman Joe Adcock broke his leg sliding, and he didn't return until September 5th. But Frank Torrey, Filled in admirably, hitting 272 and playing impeccable first base. Less than three weeks later, however, center fielder Billy Bruton tore up his knee and missed the rest of the season and, all of the postseason. But Henry Aaron shifted to play center field, and the rest of the way, someone called Bob Hurricane Hazel, a minor leaguer, was summoned from Louisville, and all he did was hit a sizzling 403 and slugged 649 for the rest of the year. It was like that all season when someone went down, someone stepped up, and the team kept on winning. Of course, the usual brave stars played like stars that year. Warren Spahn won 21 games his eighth 20-win season. He tossed 18 complete games and ended up winning the Cy Young Award for 1957. Bob Buell went eighteen and seven. Lou Burdett won seventeen games in their regular season and stunned the world with three complete game wins over the Yankees in the World Series, winning the series MVP award. twenty three year old Henry Aaron? All he did was lead the National League in Homers with forty four, RBI's with one hundred and thirty two, runs scored with one hundred and eighteen, Total bases with 369, and he also hit three twenty-two on his way to the Most Valuable Player Award for 57. Fittingly, it was Henry's game-winning two-run home run in the 11th inning off of Billy Muffet of the Cardinals on a Monday night, September 23rd, that clinched Milwaukee's first pennant in front of 40,926 delirious fans. I wanted to be among them, but it was a school night, alas. The Yankees were highly favored to defeat the Braves and defend their title as world champions, but they hadn't figured on Lou Burdett, who got his revenge and then some. The Yankees, you see, were the team that originally signed him, but they traded him to the Braves along with $50,000 for Johnny Sane six years earlier. Lou tossed three complete game victories, the last two being shutouts and game seven, was pitched on just two days rest. The Yankees had no answer to Louberdette, and Louberdette turned in one of the outstanding postseason pitching performances of all time. Needless to say, the Burgers of Milwaukee went wild, and Milwaukee was never quite the same. So that's my favorite team of all time. Are they unsung heroes? Well, to this extent, consider this. The 1956 Braves finished one game behind the Dodgers. In 57, they won the National League and the World Series. In 58, they won the National League. In 59, they finished tied with the Dodgers and lost in the playoffs. So you could say that the Milwaukee Braves of that era came within just two or three games of winning the National League four years in a row, something that no team in the history of baseball has ever done win four National League pennants. Hats off to the 1957 Milwaukee Braves. It's trivia time now at Free Baseball. Last week's stumper was this. Can you name the first team to hit 200 or more homers and steal 200 or more bases in a single season? Well, I hope you didn't scratch your head too much on that one. The answer, of course, is the 1996 Colorado Rockies. They hit 221 homers that year, and they stole 201 bases. Most people have forgotten that team, but Ellis Burks hit 40 home runs, drove in 128 runs, stole 32 bases, and hit 344. Andres Galarraga hit 47 homers, knocked in 150 runs, even he stole 18 bases and hit 304. Third baseman Vinny Castilla, 40 homers, 113 ribbies, 304, seven stolen bases. Dante Bichette in the outfield, 31 homers, 141 runs batted in, 313, 31 steals. And then, of course, let's not forget Eric Young Sr., their second baseman, who stole 53 bases. Just like the 1947 Giants, all these pyrotechnics didn't amount to much. The Rockies finished third in the National League West that year. How can that be? Well, it can be when you have a 5.59 team earned run average. The Coors Field Effect. Every baseball fan knows about Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. But can you name the current Major League player who holds the record for the most consecutive games in which he struck out? That's the question. Not for next week, actually, but for two weeks from now. That wraps up this week's episode of Free Baseball. We will be back in two weeks on September 1st with our pennant race preview. Hope to see you then. Bye. The Free Baseball Podcast is brought to you by Black Range Publishing, producers of the Gabe McKenna Mystery Series and the Black Range Pub podcast. You can find us at www.blackrangepublishing.com. Free baseball can also be found at the following podcast platforms, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible. I'm your host, Robert Kadera. Thanks for stopping by.